morning, everyone. I don't actually mind if no one signs up for the tipping competition because it means I win the prize. It'll just be you, me, and Jesse, Claire. We're, there's just three of us so far. No, we're going to have a bit of fun with that. So, um, another thing that is going on and we'd love you guys to stick around for is that we've got um, a Sunday lunch and once a month we uh, just basically say go get yourself some food from the local areas. There's like kebabs, there's banh mi's, there's um, rice, sushi, all sorts of stuff. Uh, go get it, bring it back here. We'll bring out the, the table tennis table. We'll just have some fun this Arvo, just to get to know each other because uh, church is not about uh, the service or the gathering as we call it, but it really is about the people, about the relationship that we have with one another. And so it's a great chance just to have a chat. Uh, very chill. There is no program. It's just uh, for people to have lunch together. And um, before I get on to today's message, I just want to uh, talk about what we are doing next week onwards for the next four weeks. We're doing a brand new series called The Scandal of the Cross. And I've been uh, thinking about this and preparing for this for the last year and a half. And uh, I say that because I want you to know that this is actually a really significant series. I actually think that as I've done the research and the work and the reading up um, to get ready for this series, it has enriched my heart. And do you know that Paul the Apostle, when he went to the church in Corinth, he said to the church in Corinth that I did not want to know anything else except Christ and Him crucified. He could have said, I wanted to bring you something that will bring you to a better life. I want to know, I want to bring you the truth of heaven and hell. I wanted to bring you all of these different things. But he said, no, 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 the centrality of the gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not even him resurrected, which sometimes us as a Pentecostal churches or even just general modern day churches, we focus on the resurrection. We know that there's life after death, but do we actually understand why Jesus had to die in the first place. That's what this series is going to be all about, is the lead up to Easter. And, and, uh, and this is a series for you to invite friends and family in particular that are wondering what's this big deal about Christianity. If you want your friends and family who are searching to, to be able to hear why we worship a God who was crucified, then this next four weeks is going to be the message series from, uh, for them. So I would love to see this place packed with people. Um, I, I don't even know how we're exactly we're going to do it all, but maybe we'll do a Q&A session on the final week. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how we go. But there's so much amazing things to talk about. And, when, uh, and even just for me, just thinking about what I've been understanding and having this revelation about the depths and the significance of Jesus' crucifixion has brought the songs that we've been singing to life. Sometimes when we sing, oh, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me, do we even understand what that means? Do we understand the significance of that? Or is it just like, oh, yeah, cool, I, was a, I did some bad stuff and Jesus forgiving me, off I go. Or is there far deeper depth to what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross? Well, it's going to be an amazing series. I'm super looking forward to that, to the point where I was like, oh, man, do I have to finish off this series? I want to jump on that. Anyway, we'll finish off this series.
We are currently in our final week of the In Christ series, which is based on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, which, as I mentioned last week, is actually one super long sentence in the Greek. When Paul wrote this passage, he wrote it kind of like a prayer, but a prayer in one breath. And why he wrote it as one sentence is because it is one big thought. Slightly complicated, slightly clunky, but one thought. And what is the thought? That we have been blessed with everything because we are found in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to have Jesus as our King and our Lord as our representative. And because He is our King, our representative, every blessing that He has, He showers over us. That is the central thought behind this prayer. And then last week we talked about how what Jesus did accomplish two things. One was immediate in that we have a legal status change. We're no longer under sin, but now we are under grace. We have been adopted into God's family, and, and there is this ongoing being raised in God's house. We have everything we need because we are in God's house, and we have all that we need to live this amazing life, which... Whenever I talk about the life that we have in Christ, I often am met with a few people that want to have a chat about this one question or how I view this question. And the question is this, what do I do with the memories? What do I do with the memories? What do I mean? See, whenever I talk about the life that we have in Christ, and this is going to be amazing, God's called us to do all of these things, and, and you know, He will reveal in His Word, and, and there will be, you get to pray, you get to read your Bible, you get this life of generosity, like even what Pastor Beck was talking about during the giving, it's like we, we hold loosely to, to material things, and people go, yeah, yeah, I get that that's what the Bible says, but whenever I try to do it, I'm bombarded by all of these memories of what life is, has been so far. For some people, it is memories of things that have happened to them. And so for some other people, it is memories of maybe what you have maybe even done yesterday. And when we talk about the identity we have in Christ, sometimes the problem that many of us face is that I don't see it, feel it, know it. So what am I meant to do? How do I move forward if I'm supposed to be this overcomer in Christ? If I'm meant to be victorious in Christ, but I have these patterns of sin, this addiction? What am I meant to do about forgiveness when I have these deep wounds? What am I meant to do about all of these different things that I'm meant to have in Christ, but I've got all of these? Maybe even put in a positive, in a sense that you say that God's called me to make a difference in this world, but just yesterday, I even just tried sharing the gospel with my mate and I was laughed at in my face. What am I meant to do with those memories? What am I meant to do with every memory that stands in contradiction to what the Bible says? What am I meant to do with those memories? And if you think that I'm airing your dirty laundry because you came to have a chat with me last week, this happens all the time. This even happens in my own head as I'm reading these things. And Paul tells us that we have all these spiritual blessings so we can be holy and blameless. And I'm like, I'm not holy and blameless. I know myself. My memories remind me that I'm not holy and blameless, or at least the way that I'm kind of understanding it in the Word of God. So what am I meant to do with those memories? Well, I think that this final passage that we're looking at, this final section of the prayer, 
somewhat talks about it, and so we're going to dive into it. And uh, so let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14, and it says this, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. And as we look at this prayer, there is something in here that to me clearly speaks of something in the future. And that word is the word inheritance. We have an inheritance. And an inheritance is not something that we have until there is a time that we receive it. And even in this particular passage, Paul finishes off by saying that is the, we have this guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, until we take hold of it. And the Greek words is not something that is just like, until one day you passively wake up and then you get a call and says, you have $2 million in your bank. No, 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 this is kind of like you going to, reaching out in order to take possession of something is an active word. It's a powerful word. It's a word that says that, come on, reach out and acquire it. However, that acquisition hasn't happened yet. And so everything that Paul's been talking about, all the blessing that we have, there's a sense that he's saying that we have it and we are still to have it. We have got it and yet we still haven't got it. We have already received the grace of God and yet at the same time we are still needing to reach out, to acquire, to take possession of the grace of God. There is this already not yet tension that is found in the Word of God. And this is one of the hardest paradoxes of Christianity. One of the hardest, somewhat looking contradictory portions of our faith that God has given us everything and yet He's also saying, patiently wait in hope that you will receive everything. And in our logical, linear minds, what we end up having is this sense of like, do I have it or do I not? And in our Western mindset in particular, in this day and age, we kind of want to be able to tangibly hold on to it now. If not, we come to the conclusion that for some reason I have not acquired it. It is so easy for us to think that we have not received our healing because I am still sick. We haven't received our restoration because I'm still grieving. We haven't received a whole heart because my heart is still broken. We haven't received everything because I'm still not content. We haven't got to where I need to because I am still in this particular place. And we can reach into this point and we go, which is very much a question, what about the memories? I'm still remembering that I'm, I've got debt, I've got pain, I've got all of these issues. The older I get, it feels like the more pain I acquire rather than healing. Amen? All those who are above the age of, I don't know, 15, your body starts to go into decline, man. I remember being in youth ministry at the age of 20 and being able to stay up all night until like the wee hours of the morning, have a nice good sleep, and by Saturday night I was ready to party again. 
But now, one late night equals two weeks of hell. My brain doesn't work anymore. My body doesn't want to get up. My body doesn't want to work. We understand that. So how is it that it's more glorious to be in Christ than not? Why should we be in Christ if we haven't got all of those things? And the answer is in the tension of already and not yet. It is found in the tension of understanding that God has given you a guarantee and is then saying that there's one day where the fullness is going to come. But it's also something that we need to understand that we don't get the guarantee until we step into it. We don't get no guarantee. You don't get the seal. You don't, you, you're, you're, how do I say this? It's almost like you've just got a verbal agreement that can be reneged on. You, need, you want a signing, you want a contract, then you're actually going to need to participate in it. And that's where in this passage there is something that is a little bit strange because Paul begins to say um, that we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, which, by the way, I think gives us great confidence. God didn't choose you because He blindly just picked your name out of a hat. He chose you because of the counsel of His will. He thought about it and he went, this is a good idea. I don't know what possessed God for him to think that picking us was a good idea. Especially when you read through the Bible, no human being has been that good for, for God to go like, you know what, I'm going to trust humanity. No, no, no. But in his good and perfect will, he chose us. And then Paul switches and then he says something really strange. He says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory in Him you also when you heard the word of the truth. And there's this, we who were first, you who were later. And as like, Paul, what are you talking about? Really, Paul is reaching into his ethnicity when he's talking about this, which can be a little bit strange. He's saying, we who were the Jews who were the first to hope in God. Remember that the gospel came to the Jewish nation first. The, the, if you will, the gospel can actually be traced back to the very beginning of the Bible. Through Adam and Eve and through all of this time, it reached into a specific people group called the Jews, the Hebrew people, the Israel nation. And Paul goes there and he says, we who were first and you who were second. And in our minds, it's easy for us to then go, so Paul's saying that the Jews are better than everyone else. That's not what he's talking about. And one uh, specific commentator says that this whole sequence has got no hierarchy in it, but he's drawing on something. Paul is wanting us to remember that our understanding of salvation and our understanding of God's purpose and God's will didn't start with Jesus. Jesus appears in the middle of the Bible. There are references, there are pictures and there are types and images of Jesus in the Old Testament because Jesus has been revealed and we can see that. But the understanding of God's will being revealed to us didn't come with Jesus. Jesus didn't signify a new plan. Jesus signified a surprising plan, a contradictory plan in our mind, a weird plan as we're going to uncover over the next few weeks, but the plan started way before. 
And the Old Testament shows us so many pictures and images of how God was interacting with His people for us to understand how salvation works and how we are to understand the already not yet kingdom. Because He said, we who were the first to hope, we Jews, we went through a lot of stuff, we lived through, we were the analogy, we were the parable, we were the story to help you understand what Jesus is accomplishing. And so specifically, Paul often refers back to the story of the Exodus. And if you don't know the story of the Exodus, you should read the story of the Exodus because it's one of the most powerful pictures of what salvation is. For those who don't know what the story of um, the Exodus is, very simply, Israel were slaves in Egypt. God demolishes the powers of Egypt, which is a very important picture, but He demolishes the powers of Egypt in order to redeem His people so that they can leave a place of slavery and then they spend 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. And last week we also mentioned this picture and we talked about how they were leaving Egypt, but they needed to have Egypt ripped out of them. And that was part of the process of going through that. And then they entered the promised land 40 years after leaving Egypt. So already I hope that you understand that salvation starts with us leaving Egypt. The power of Egypt was broken all that time ago, but we're not in the promised land yet. We are living in the promise of God, but we're not in the promised land yet. We are still traveling through very, in many ways, literally a wilderness where God's kingdom is still breaking into where we are right now. And we see glimpses, we see types, we see His goodness in many ways. We see the manna from heaven, we see the quails dropping dead before us so that we can have a barbecue. We have feet that don't get sore, we have sandals that don't wear out. These are all pictures in the Old Testament, of our journey with God through the wilderness into the promised land. So this is the point. If you don't participate in the journey through the wilderness, you are still closer to Egypt than you are to the promise. And that's why in the New Testament there is this picture of holding on in faith to God because you can be with God for one moment in the wilderness, but you can also let go, rebel against God in a moment, think that Egypt was a better place, and miss out on the fullness of the promise. Am I trying to scare you into following God? No, I'm trying to get you to examine whether you have a faith that has left Egypt and continues not stays in the wilderness, but continues through the wilderness. And so, something that was really interesting as I was looking at this that came out is that Paul then talks about the guarantee that has been given to us, which is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about this, and I was reading up about this. How does that fit the picture of the Old Testament and of the Exodus? Well, one of the really cool things that Israel got to see as they journeyed through the wilderness, was God leading through a very visual and a very specific way, which was the cloud of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Let me read to you a passage in Exodus 13, verses 21 to 22. It says, And the Lord went before them by day. God was with them already at this point. Sometimes we kind of live in New Testament times and we think that without the cross, God wasn't with us. No, 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 God was with them. 
already in Exodus chapter 13. God was with them. God loves His people. He stays with His people. Even when they are faithless, even when they're rebellious, God chooses to stay close to them. And that's by His grace. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. And one commentator spoke about how this pillar was a representative of God's presence. And so we fast forward to this amazing prayer that we have in Ephesians chapter 1. And what is Paul saying? He's saying that in a similar way, we don't have a visual pillar of cloud of fire, but we have the Holy Spirit. As God's presence was already manifest amongst the Israelites, God's presence is manifest through the Holy Spirit. See, we believe that we worship and serve a God who is, we call three-in-one as an easy language, a Trinitarian God, and it's uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not just God's representative. He is God. And so we have the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of the fullness already given to us. Just like the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was the guarantee of God's leading through the wilderness into the promised land. Are you catching this? This should be exciting. You should be like, yes! See, the thing is, I will way prefer the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. <laughs> Except that I also love that I'm not literally traveling through the wilderness. Take what you will. I don't want to walk through a desert. I would walk 5,000 miles. No, thank you. I like my car. I like my life. So I don't have a flipping pillar. I have the Holy Spirit. And He's with me. But what does it show you? That the Holy Spirit is not static. The Holy Spirit moves. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire wasn't there for them to go, oh, we had the presence of God with us. Wow, this is amazing. We are meant to go, Holy Spirit is leading us just like the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was moving. Whenever the pillar moved, the people went. Why? Because the pillar was taking them closer to the promised land. And the Holy Spirit is with us, not just to make us feel good, but to lead us into the promised land. And so when we are not following the Holy Spirit, we are being rebellious like the Israelites saying, where is God in all of this? Can you imagine if you see this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire and you can still go, where is God? He has forsaken me. Think about that. I think sometimes in the imagery of the Old Testament, we forget about this pillar that was with them. It was there the whole time. When they built the tabernacle, the pillar was literally at the tabernacle. It was in the center of the camp. It was visible, but the people could still rebel against the pillar, and we can still rebel against the Holy Spirit. We've got to understand that the imagery of the Old Testament is to help us to understand the New Testament and the life that we have today. And so the question mark is this. Are we following the Holy Spirit? Are we following where the Spirit is leading? 
Are we going where God is going? And I want to go a little bit deeper than this because I think it's important. Sometimes when we think of God as our leader, as our guide, the Holy Spirit is our leader and our guide, we see this in a bit of a cold way. We kind of go, okay, yep, yep, that's where God's going. Here I go. All right, fine. No worries. This is hard, but oh, man, this is what I'm going to do. The imagery of, um, of, of this guarantee of the Holy Spirit, the guiding of the Holy Spirit isn't a detached co-leader and follower, but rather it talks about possession. It talks about this relationship that we have. So Tom Wright states, but the Spirit is more than just a leader and a guide. The Spirit is actually part of the promised inheritance because the Spirit is God's own presence, which in the new world will be fully and personally with us forever. And another theologian writes this, Marcus Barth, he writes about this passage, to attest to this fact, Old Testament writers make use of the same imagery for God taking possession of Israel as Israel, as for Israel's receiving a share from God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession. Out of all the people that are on the face of the earth, the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob, His allotted heritage. Israel is called thy people and thy heritage whom thou hast redeemed, especially the Qumran community of the faithful. The Qumran basically is talking, it's not the Quran, completely different. This is about a specific time and a specific, uh, uh, group of people that follow uh, the, um, the explaining of the Torah through the Qumran. The Qumran community of the faithful understands itself not as the recipient of a special lot from God, but also calls itself God's lot and considers itself bought by God to be His people. Why I'm mentioning this is because this is far more of a two-way street than sometimes I understand. And we sing this song, Oceans, and there's this line, I am yours and you are mine. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is as much for us a guarantee that God wants to live with us as it is God saying, I put out a down payment for your whole life. It's not just about what we get but in many ways, it's also about what God gets. And sometimes we are going through the wilderness with this sight of what about me, rather than understanding that God's actually said, I want all of you. I've made payment for all of you. And I wonder whether sometimes we recognize that God only gets a part of us. A tiny little portion Sunday morning, that's God's portion. Is that really following the Spirit through the wilderness? See, Christianity isn't convenient, but it's necessary. Following the Spirit is not convenient, but it's necessary. There are many of us making decisions about our life, paying more notice to the wilderness then to the guarantee of our inheritance. And no wonder we are anxious. No wonder we are frustrated. 
No wonder our memories make more sense than the promise. See, what are we to do with the memories? As I come back to the point that I've been trying to make, when we understand that there's an inheritance and there's a journey, one of the things we also have to recognize is that we're going to a new place. Not to an old, not to some wonderful golden age that we've already experienced. See, that's part of the problem with our Western mindset. We often think that the golden days are behind us and that God is somehow restoring the golden days. There's even this little uh, meme that was made from this TV show where this person said, I wish I knew I was in the golden days while I was in it. There is this sentimentality that reaches into us that tells us that there was a time in my life that I was so happy and God's inheritance for me is that he brings me back to that place. No. Because he's making all things new. He's not making all things old and comfortable. He's not restoring the former glory. He's bringing in a new kingdom. And so when we understand that we are on the way to the promised land, part of the issue for the Israelites is that God needed to make sure that they didn't get to the promised land and make it a new Egypt. But they're going to the promised land to be a kingdom of priests and prophets to God's glory. And he was leading them through a place so that with complete, full, simple obedience to God, they would be the people living fully in the promises of God. And so when God is leading us and the old memories come up, what we need to recognize is that we can acknowledge it. Yes, I was there before. That pain did happen. That trauma did happen. My sin, I committed God's taking me to a new place. But God is taking me to a new place. See, faith is not that God is restoring the old. Faith is understanding that God is taking us to the new. And every step of the way through the flipping wilderness, there are scorpions, there are snakes. There are people that stand in your way. But the faithfulness of God is that He's already leading us through it and He's going before us. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was with them every single step of the way and it went before them. The Holy Spirit has gone before us as a guarantee of our inheritance. And so we need to understand this is new, this is difficult, and this is good. And so I'm taking a step into it. And so even though I struggle and God is telling me, be more disciplined, but the discipline is so that when I step into the promises of God, I can experience the fullness of God and every time that God says that you are healed and you feel broken understand that God is saying step into the new not keep going back to the old your relationships are not meant to look like what they look like they're meant to look like what God promises your future is not meant to be what the past looked like it's meant to look like what God is talking about in the future and the more we place a priority on God's future, I pray that the memories start to fade. What do we do to memories? They are ours, but I can choose to say, yes, that happened, and I'm going to prioritize this. 
Now, this is not simple optimism. This is not just like, oh, God loves me, God loves me, I don't feel love, God loves me, just keep saying God loves me until... No, it's actually this togetherness with the Holy Spirit. It's looking to the Holy Spirit, just like the Israelites could have, should have, they didn't, look to the pillar. Where are we going, God? Here. This is the way. This is the way. No, but it's so hard. This is the way. They are like giants in the promised land. They are God of crushes. The pillar was still there. The pillar was still there. The pillar is still here. Every time that pain comes in, the pillar is still here. So even though I know that there is pain in my life, the pillar is still there. Even though I remember the neglect, the pillar is still here. Every time I know that there is pain, the pillar is still here, still leading us into the promised land. We've got to change our perspective. The Bible talks about it as the renewing of our mind. Stop looking to the past for clues about the future. Start looking into God's Word as He has shared with us. So in many ways, Paul's great long prayer is an affirmation of the life that we have in Christ. Despite difficult situations, Paul wrote those words while in prison awaiting his death sentence. And he didn't go, what was all of this for, God? He still continued to look to Jesus as the author and the finisher of his faith. My prayer is that our church doesn't look to things that are temporary to give us clues as to what to pursue. But we begin to look at things that are eternal help us push into the new. Our word this year, church, is unleashed because I think so many of us are living according to mindsets, pictures, memories of the past. Maybe even fantasies. Fantasies we've accumulated through good old Hollywood, good old Disney, about what world should look like. We often look to our culture as to how we are meant to live. This is what success looks like. This is what a good person looks like. And our culture can tell us some of those things. But it only is right if it lines up with where the Holy Spirit is leading. And so my prayer is that we begin to look. So can we stand this morning if I can get the band up. As I was preparing for this message, talking about the Holy Spirit, it gets me excited because I think that the Holy Spirit is available for each and every single one of us. And if you don't have confidence that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding you, of course you're going to look to your memories. Of course you're going to look to your past. Of course you're going to look to some other source to tell you where you're meant to be going. But this morning, I pray that we will have the faith to understand that God is leading us to something new. God is leading us to something greater. God is leading us to 
all that we could ever need. Maybe not immediately in a sense that you pray, you get it, and you have your life, and you can just go on. But rather in the sense that God is leading us through the wilderness to a better place. To His kingdom. To Himself. And so firstly, I want to pray with people that at a place where you're going, you know what, I actually need to acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior. That I need to do life not by myself, but with Jesus at the center of my life. And maybe for you, this is an affirmation of something that you need to say again. is a reaffirmation. If that's the case, that's fantastic. Well, with every eye closed, every head bowed, no one's looking around. I would love us to repeat this prayer after me to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I've sinned. I acknowledge that I'm broken and that I need you, God. I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. A second thing this morning is that I want to pray for people that want to receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in a place and you're going, I don't know if I've got the pillar with me. Well, I want you to walk away from this morning knowing that the pillar is right there with you. That you can walk away with the confidence that God is here, that He has given you a guarantee of your inheritance in Him. We're going to pray with you. We're going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to fill you. It's going to be a moment that you're going to know, you're going to be able to acknowledge so that you can walk with confidence through the wilderness. You can point back to this moment where you can go, God came into my life and I know that He's with me. I know that He's guiding me. I know that He's going before me. I am here and he is mine and so that's the that's the call I'm putting out this morning we've got a team we'll pray with you once you come up and we'll pray that the Holy Spirit fills you in this moment but if not you can head over into the foyer and have some morning tea make sure you don't run off remember we've also got Sunday lunch so organize where you're going to be getting some lunch from so that we can spend some family time together but I really sense that God wants to put a seal a mark a guarantee on people's lives so that you can walk with the confidence that Paul had, that I have, that God is with me, God is for me, He's not against me, that He is leading me into a greater place with Him. So let me just pray and close. And after that, if you like prayer, why don't you come forward? Dear Jesus, I thank you that, that we have this great inheritance because of you. I thank you, God, that you're leading us into greater promises than we could ever imagine. We sang those words this morning. You are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. And so, God, I pray that that God of more, we trust, we put our eyes on, we obey, we follow with heart, soul, mind, and strength. God set us on fire for you, God, that even though we're walking through the wilderness and we have the memories of the past attacking us, God, I pray that we hold on with faith to where you are leading. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. If you like prayer, why don't you come forward? I believe that God's going to do something significant in your life this morning. Thank you so much. 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.